the yeah. only thing that's gonna matter is what makes us all human and it's those things that how you as a human being deal with the things that come your way that are curveballs you know and that's how you're gonna generate a passion and a meaning for whatever you decide to do in your life and i think a lot of that comes down to is how you tell the stories of your life I want to take a quick second and talk about how you can support our show. I believe this is the most honest way that I can connect with you, the listener, and put it in front of everyone. You can support our show for as little as 99 cents a month. We release four podcasts a month, all at an average length of about an hour. That means you are supporting us at just 25 cents an hour. That's that's cheaper than the dollar menu. I think it's safe to say that we provide more value than that. And if you learn anything from our content, please consider becoming a supporter today with the link in the description of any episode or on the website at feedingcuriosity.net. And with that, thanks for listening and please enjoy the show. Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Feeding Curiosity. I'm your host, Eric Wenzel, as always. And Feeding Curiosity is a podcast that explores the precarity of human experience and we challenge each and every one of you to think, question, and synthesize new ideas, New thought patterns, new habits, new anything and everything, because that's just the way it works if you want to continue to learn. And in this episode, we are joined by Joe Joukowsky, a longtime guest on the show. And as always, this episode kind of grounds itself in psychology, as Joe is um, inclined to have. And from there, we kind of warm up and in broad terms, we kind of look at connecting to people on a more human level, being able to share ourselves authentically and in the moment and removing the buffer of technology that is provided. This is not to say that we should remove all technology, but just kind of removing it in a sense that we want to connect more broadly to everybody else. And the only way we can do this is by just getting in front of other people and being unashamed to share who we are at its core. And this is really the core of what this entire episode is all about, is just storytelling and capturing our story, other people's story, and then allowing ourselves to share that to a broader context. It's really special for me. This entire podcast was one that fired me up. <laughs> and it really is fun to do this stuff, guys. And I I don't even know how this is so even a thing for me, but I love it. And I hope that comes through in this episode. And please enjoy this conversation with Joe Joukowsky. One, and we're live, Joe. Okay. Cool. We were talking about relationships. Yeah. <laughs> just so, before we kick this thing off. But, yeah, um, we're just warming up for like the last 30 minutes or so. But we're like, yeah. wait a minute, we should probably start recording. <laughs> <laughs> like, this is good shit. Why are we? Yeah, why are we not? Because it's like one of the things that honestly hasn't really come up too often on the podcast so far. It's kind of just thoughts on <laughs> relationships. Yeah. And like we've talked about um, friendships, but not like romantic relationships and how people process them. And it's, it's an interesting subject too. And I've, I, I'm part of the star program. It just ended here mm-hmm. at um, Michigan. It's uh, students tackling advanced research and it's a um, uh, biweekly you get together, you have a mentor, you have uh, faculty come in and teach about their, uh, their, their specialty, what they're going after, their, their research, and you get to kind of learn with other people and be, be a mentee to grad students who have already gone through that thing. So you kind of get the, the really nice opportunity to have a clear 
roadmap laid out okay, for so they, you. For they kind of get into guide you on the next stages, basically. Right, and then introduce you to fields. That's part of why they want the faculty to come in, is to come in and show off what they're doing and what you could possibly do, what's yeah. interesting for you, you know what I mean? Because there's so much out there, and with grad school, you're not applying to just a school. You're applying to work with an advisor. Like a professor, work right? With, right, you work under a professor. You're not just, the school isn't the one that's really accepting you, it's that professor. Yeah. So you need to have interests aligned, and in order to have interests aligned, you need to know what you're interested in and what's out there to, to be interested in. Mm-hmm. So they bring those people in to show off their work. And the last um, meeting we had was a couple weeks ago, and the person that came in does a lot of work with attachment theory, which is something that I always thought was really fascinating. So attachment theory is... Um, was made by John Bowlby back in the day, and it's been expanded for a year. It's pretty um, well studied. It's kind of fallen on the wayside in some It's like it kind of got beat to death, and you know you can only cover so much about it. And then it kind of faded away a little bit, but it seems that this particular researcher um, is, is fascinated with it more so than I am. Not to say I'm not fascinated, but I am fascinated. She's just doing it as a job. Right, this is and like her her subject matter of expertise or right. inquiry. I should really, I should say her name. Actually, yeah. We, we can link her if, if you worth, know it. Yeah. It's, um, is this at Michigan? Is this researcher? Yeah. What's her name? It's Robin, I believe. Yeah. Robin Edelstein, uh, here at the university of Michigan. And she, is researching attachment and a whole bunch of other things. Testosterone, uh, actually. Oh, that's cool. So she would, yeah, so those relation, uh, the relation of that, the relation of testosterone to attachment, and uh, how she's found that um, over time, as people are in a relationship, their testosterone goes down. Whoa. So I mean, that like, kind of makes sense if you start thinking about it. Right, and now they, it's not like super. They're not totally sure that that's exactly what's happening because it goes par- down in age. Parse it all out. Yeah, it goes down with age, and it's tough. But it looks like there's something at least to continue doing the research on. Right, so right. it's like, oh, oh, there's something there. We can't be sure that that's exactly what we're predicting, but there's enough there to suggest that it could be. So we should continue to pursue this this inquiry. Um, yeah. So she's going after that, and she was talking about attachment theory, and I thought that was really interesting. There's a handful of fascinating things about it because, one, attachment theory really talks about, initially talked about, um, styles of attachment in infants when you're a child, and it's to your parents. So it's um, basically secure and insecure, just like a... There's a third one that's basically like all over the place, and that's really bad. If like you're that. chaotic, yeah, it's it, that's straight up neglect or abuse. Okay, when that happens, yeah, and the child does has no frame of reference on how to act, whether to be excited or not excited, or be terrified or happy when the parent leaves. They're just totally compl- they have no idea how to conceptualize that that relationship because it's all over the place, and it's neglecting or violent or th- it's it's bad news. It's real bad news. Um, but the interesting thing is that your attachment style in infancy predicts 
your attachment style as an adult. So mm-hmm. you're using so is it the same, called, or is it yeah. shift slightly? Uh, it shifts. It kind of becomes a more mature version, right? That makes um, sense. Um, there's two different. There's secure. Secure is kind of like the bet, the good one, right? That means you, you're open emotionally. You can connect with people. Um, you use them as a means of comfort, as someone who you confide in, who you return to, who you're committed to. It's the healthiest form of attachment you can have. And then there's avoidant. And so secure is like 50% of the population as an adult. Um, avoidant or insecure, excuse me, insecure um, uh, attachment style differentiates into two different um, as an adult, dismissive and anxious, I think. It's called. I can't quite remember. I'm sure somebody can Google it. Um, and anxious people, they there's a fundamental underlying assumption that you can't really trust people to be there for you. Mm-hmm. This is the underlying assumption. There's this fear of the end of the relationship. Like a fear of loss, basically. That that triggers the anxiety. Uh Uh-huh. And that exists for all insecure attachments. So whether it's anxious or avoidant, both of them have the same axiom that they're operating on. You can't rely on people. Period. Just like you couldn't rely on your parents when you were an infant. And the two ways that they deal with that is that the... The anxious types, they get clingy. They are constantly uh, wanting to get closer. They think that other people can't, aren't offering up the same level of commitment to the relationship that they are. Mm-hmm. And the more people draw away because, like, Jesus, this person's like suffocating me. Right. It's like a self fulfilling prophecy, away. basically. Oh, yeah. It ends up being one because they, they do suffocate people. And then those people leave. So their own insecurity about this relationship ends up ending the relationship. The other thing happened, the opposite happens with, with avoidant. Avoidant say, oh, this relationship is doomed to fail. Um, oh, it's like, I'm just going to. It's almost realistic sure that, in its thought pattern. Because it's like, well, right, it's going to end it, anyways. So fuck it. <laughs> it's that same anxious assumption that. Or that same insecure assumption yeah. that the relationship is is the other end of the you spectrum. You can't trust people. That you can't you can't rely on other human beings for mm-hmm. that comfort that you need. And but instead of getting clingy and trying to hold on to it like the other style does, they do the opposite and they say they just keep everyone at arm's distance so that when it ends in their mind, mm-hmm. they'll be safe. Yeah. Like well, I was never attached anyway. So you never commit, so you never really lose anything. That's interesting. So it's two different strategies for the same. And I can see how, how the, if you broader reach of that, I mean, I don't know if there's any studies done on this or anything like that, but just kind of thinking about it right now, you can see how that can play into mental illness or at least how it could manifest down the road. If you do have this sort of trauma early on, right? You know, oh, yeah. it's kind I, of the, wouldn't be... the nature versus nurture subject of it, right? I wouldn't be surprised. Now I don't know if this is true. And I was looking up 
um, some of this, but I, I didn't go in depth enough to be able to tell you what the conclusions were. But yeah. I was trying to look to see if there were connections between the avoidant one and narcissism. Oh. And the anxious one and histrionic behavior. What's histrionic just for myself? Because I actually don't know what that means. <laughs> um, attention seeking. Oh, okay. So it's kind of like extreme being, attention seeking. Like being in the spotlight all the time. Oh, yes. Yeah. Super like flirtatious. They'll, it's people on the sexual element of it. They'll be constantly flirting, constantly hooking people, constantly trying to seek that attention. They're the center of attention. They need that attention. Wow. Um, where the narcissist, so you can see why that would develop someone clingy, right? Yeah. Who has this exactly. relationship need to be this, like they're looking for that security in anyone they can get their hands on. Like it's yeah. just extreme form. And they're hyper, of, and they're hyper judgmental on what that person needs to have like attribute wise or characteristics. I can see where that could play. I, not maybe not, but I'm that's not so sure that would happen with that type. No, I think that 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 does happen with avoidant. Okay. Avoidant types will use a strategy where they nitpick tiny little behaviors and elements of their partner. Yeah, basically, as an excuse to themselves of, oh, that's why. Hmm. It's like, oh well, you know, she was, uh, she. You know, didn't chew her food right. Right. You know, she, oh, she always chewed her mouth open. Or, or some micro oh. detail that, you know. Oh, it's absurd triggered. shit. Yeah. I mean, they'll, they'll probably find, it's not hard to find legitimate things to be upset about with a partner. So they don't have to go to that point. You know what I mean? Everybody is flawed. Yeah. And if you really want to look for flaws in your partner. You'll find them. Even if you don't want to look. <laughs> if, if you're together for long enough, you'll fucking find Right. Them. Yeah, you you'll know? find little things but that bother the, you no matter what. Right, but they're they're looking out for it, and then they go, "Oh, well, that's my out." Mm -hmm. And they always have their foot in the door. They're always waiting for their out. Yeah, which is why I think that they're narcissistic because they can be very charming and engaged with other people, and they do want that genuine commitment. But the narcissist end is like, it take that to an even greater extreme where they're just using people all the time to boost their own ego and then standing above it all and going, Oh, I don't need to be attached to anyone. Relationships are for fools and all this. It's like, Oh, oh it's like just, saying like a fallacy of relationships, like getting close to someone is just leaves you open for pain. Kind of. Thing. Yeah. And they, and they think that they're better for knowing that, that everyone else would be some sort of ignorant, stupid person who just can't handle the reality of things. You know, like, and I'm a better fucking person for realizing that, uh, that if we're not playing that game, I'm going to get everything that I want. Yeah. Fuck whoever I want, and then I'm going to leave because I'm not attached, and I'm not going to play this this cheap game we call love. I'm just not going to do it. But they think that they're good for this, right? That narcissism is narcissistic. So, I don't know if those things are connected, but I'm just kind of... Postulating? Uh, uh, Some right, sort of hypothesis? It, it would make sense to me that they were. Like, if you take... There's I would bet money... That anyone that's narcissistic is insecurely attached. I mean, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't surprise me in any way. I mean, if you look at a narcissistic person and how they treat other objects, right? Not if you're looking at relationships, just like their own things. It's not hard to believe they would look at people that way, right? Yeah. 
which is tragic. It is tragic. And it's not to say, you know, as we were kind of talking before we started recording, it's kind of like you have to realize certain patterns and you have to be introspective enough to understand where the problem lies. And if you're narcissistic, you're not, you're going to project problems onto others more likely. So the, the <laughs> chance that you're ever going to um, even get to the point where you can work through that stuff is probably low in general, yeah. unless you have a groundswell of enough people around you that you actually trust, which again, narcissism Good luck. <laughs> um, is, is not going to happen. <laughs> so it, it's like a, it's a, it's a positive what do you, feedback loop. Yeah. Positive feedback loop of just bad behaviors. Yep. You know, and that is part of the problem with insecure attachments too, because if you're doing like the, the anxious or whatever types are doing, mm-hmm. then um, you're just suffocating people until that really bends. Yeah. Which reinforces your some initial assumption. Yeah. Or you're keeping people at arm's distance, finding bullshit reasons to leave. You leave and then you go, oh, see, that wasn't going to last anyway. I knew Right. <laughs> like, okay, well, <laughs> you can keep telling yourself. But <laughs> it's a, you're the one ending the relationships. <laughs> so how much of a prophecy is it really yeah. if you're, it pulls it off? It's like a delusion almost. Like you delude um, your, like you, you, it's like that, I was just saying probably, it's like the, sometimes the one you're lying to is yourself. The one you're lying to most is yourself. Yeah. Or the stories we tell ourselves. And it's, it's especially, first off, you're right. I mean, that's a good quote, but. I don't know who quoted it, but it's kind of something along those lines. Somebody, some paraphrase. <laughs> Someone smarter than me. <laughs> <laughs> but it's just especially. How do you say this? It seems especially tragic to me because it's predicted by your childhood relationship with mm-hmm. your parents. So it's like, well, what the fuck? Yeah. Like, what are you going to do about that? You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> So I don't know what the treatment is. I read um type of treatment, or mm-hmm. I read one research paper uh, from a clinician who treated someone with not only avoided attachment, but also uh, a disorder. I think it's called avoided disorder or something like that. Yeah. I, my my clinical knowledge is a lot less than my technical right. cognitive or neuropsychological and all that. Kind of lacking in that field. I take the pathology because of complex schedule problems. Uh, no. I know. <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty butthurt about that one because I the one I was most interested in, but I just couldn't take it. But yeah. anyway. Um read that paper about that individual who had some avoidant disorder and then also avoidant attached. And um, basically it was a lot of getting the person to slowly trust the, the therapist and then generalizing out that trust to other people. So, like, learn to trust one person and then see if you can trust other people. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, baby steps, like, kind of. Yeah. It's almost kind of like how we do, 
like stress response for certain things. Like if you're afraid of something like public speaking, like people are deathly afraid, you slowly get people acclimated and let them, you know, gain confidence in their own abilities. And then eventually you get to a point where it's like, you know, a big crowd or something like that. I mean, it's exposure therapy. Yeah, that's what I'm looking for. I was like, what the hell's the term? (laughs) So, I mean, that's a big, I mean, that's a huge paradigm in psychology and treatment anyway is Mm -hmm. exposure therapy. But I don't know. It just strikes me as sad in general that there's so many people out there and so many things going on that they're suffering from the consequences of something out of their control, right? Yeah. It's like, fuck, dude, what kind of bullshit is that? Right. I mean, unfortunately, that's kind of the, not really the way the world works, but... But like, kind of the way the world works. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to say it that yeah. way, but it's like, you know, the, the, the job of being a parent is the only job you don't, you know, interview for, <laughs> so to speak. Yeah, like, there's a lot of shit parents out there. And, and unfo- I mean, really, like, it's shocking. I can I can think of shit. Yeah. I remember going to a party once and seeing um, a mom give her her child just any time the child was going to interact with people. Yeah. Instead of letting the child be bothersome, she would just hand the child the iPad. Oh, boy. Load up a game just here. Fuck off. Like, I don't want to deal with you. Get absorbed in this simple thing yeah. so that I can do what I want to do. And I was like, oh. oh. It's heartbreaking. Like, do you have any idea? Do you have any idea? What Not only is verbal intelligence going to go down, which is straight up been shown, the more time, pe- more time children spend on an iPad um, or on a screen, really, the less verbal intelligence they get, in part because they're not interacting with other human beings. Yeah. But also, even the learning apps, the most popular ones, are almost never the ones that are backed by any science. We oh, learned about this in cognitive development. Like what games? Are there any ones that are out there that she you didn't, I don't know any for sure, okay. but there's a huge disconnect between the public of what a good game to give your kid on an iPad or whatever is. Huh. And what ones actually will do anything. Yeah. And even the ones that may actually do something, they don't even come close, come close to being as effective as actual human interaction. That's There's crazy. no substitute. There's no substitute. So if you're giving your child a bunch of screen time instead of spending human time with them, yeah. you are robbing them of language, one, and their learning ability in general. Yeah. It's just, it's appalling. That's it is crazy. appalling. So I can actually back this up because I'm currently reading a book, honestly, to be better at podcasting and asking questions and things like that. It's called uh, We Need to Talk, and it's by Celeste uh, Headley. She's a journalist by trade, but she also did a TED Talk of the same name, and so she decided to expand on her TED Talk with this book. And some of the quotes that she was saying is kind of like, People are people choose email and text messages over actually talking to someone on the phone, even though studies prove that having a conversation can help you get a more accurate and immediate response by it's like a 60% like increase. And it's like wasted dollars on just ineffective communication because of text messages. 
because there's so much micro communication that happens. And then one of the things that she had mentioned um, about our generation, like millennials and older who are now more prone to have headphones on at a consistent rate, it's our ability to want to have control over situations is one was like psychologically what's driving it. So we want to be able to opt in to when communication happens, hmm. you know? And so, and I didn't even think about this, but like I'm someone who's got headphones on probably 80% of the day when I'm in public situations. So I'm less likely to have spontaneous communication because I'm putting a buffer between me and the outside world. And I was like, Oh yeah. my, Oh my God. I didn't even, Dude, yeah. I didn't even think about it, you know? And I'm, and I'm just, I literally wrote in the margins. I'm like, find ways to di- like remove the headphones, take them off even for just an hour, you know, just for something. And I, and so what I've been doing lately is I like between classes, I like, uh, it's only like a 45 minute wait and like half the students are in the same classes together. So instead of putting back my headphones on and like staring at my laptop or doing whatever, I leave my headphones off and I talk to the students around me. You know, <laughs> that's smart, you know, that's trying good. to figure out ways that I can not have this buffer between me and the outside world all the time. Dude, it's been shocking me because, okay, so I've been, what I've found is that what I like to do now is when I walk to school mm-hmm. in the morning, so I'm like, it's maybe a 10 minute walk to my first class. Excuse me. And, um, normally I would put in my headphones put my head down and, you know, just push so through the, <laughs> the cold weather, you know. Pre-coffee, Joe. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> That's right. Pre-entire fucking <clears throat> box of K-cups, yeah, Joe. Because, you know, um, you run off of coffee. Oh, yeah. You know, it'd probably be cheaper at this point just to do cocaine. But <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Um, you, it might be noticeable. Like, Joe, you okay? Yeah, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. I feel great. <laughs> I am wide awake. <laughs> Fresh would be like, wow, you're keeping up with me. <laughs> like, oh, yeah, I feel amazing. Holy shit. Um, <laughs> um, so in the mornings, I, I stopped putting on headphones and just walking to school in silence and it's kind of it's so refreshing is what i found that it ends up being it's kind of a nice ease into the day instead of beginning my day with music or a podcast or something that i can just take 10 minutes to walk and be in quiet. Hear the birds chirp. Yeah. You know, be in the moment just for a little bit. And I really connect to that idea that you mentioned of having a buffer between yourself and the world. Yeah. And removing that buffer. And I think that more and more and more, I want to shed I want to tear away that division between myself and the experience of the world. Yeah. Like, like it's to me, like lately it's been like now that school is almost over for me and stuff like that. Now it's like, Oh wait, I can actually start doing the things I've been thinking about and like, you know, basically borderline fantasizing it with like travel and everything like that. Like on one level we have these podcasts now where we, you know, we're communicating at a different level because it's not, you know, 120 characters or whatever Twitter is or Facebook posts and stuff. We're, we're able to get nuanced and understand people at a different level. 
Yeah. And that's fine. And it's great. But this is like a contained environment because it's podcasting still. Like I choose the people I'm talking to. I choose, you know, all that. And now it's like, okay, how do I transplant what I'm experiencing here to a broader application? Because the more we mm-hmm. can do that, the the better the qual. I think I don't know if this is true, but this is what I feel is it's the better the quality of life. Period for everybody involved. If we can just be like you said, present within the moment for as many moments as possible, and it, yeah. that might sound pretty Buddhist to some people because it kind of is, but it doesn't yeah. have to be rooted in mindfulness. It really doesn't. Like just being able to enjoy the whatever now is is kind of like. The, probably the most important thing you can do. I mean, let me tie this back to back to relationships like we were talking. Yeah, please do. I mean, imagine, imagine explaining where you met your husband or wife in the future and how many people are going to have to say that they met online. Right. And I don't think that that's, because I don't think that's because anyone is being forced into an online relationship, right? That that they're, the draw that everyone's there to move into that space in order to find the person that you're looking for. Right. I think that what's happening is that people are creating that buffer between themselves and the world and robbing themselves of the opportunity to meet whom they could love spontaneously in person and spontaneous right spontaneously to have to be at the bus stop and to start a conversation with a stranger yeah and to have that real connection immediately or interest or just a, a good laugh with someone over coffee that you've never yeah. met just in line somewhere and that we as an entire generation are Pre- cutting that out we're so we predisposed are, to have these things right these technologies that are at arm's reach yeah, it's this insular bubble mm-hmm. that allows you to just, it just draws you into its little world and holds you there. And you can be nice and comfortable and listen to the thing you want, do whatever, and you can be in your own world. And it's it's really, it's solipsistic. Wow. It's just an opportunity for you to be only with yourself. This makes to you disengage <laughs> from reality and to, again, to rob yourself of the opportunity to meet someone and have a meaningful moment spontaneously. Like, even if it doesn't go anywhere, like you said, a meaningful moment, right? Like, that sounds yeah. fucking dope. <laughs> like, it just makes me want to, like, go somewhere and not have a plan and just be like, I'm going to go, like, just have a goal to just talk to someone that you don't know. Dude, when right? here's an example. <laughs> yes, funny I, yeah, absolutely. That sounds yeah. so much fun because, like, how many people actually go outside to actually have a conversation with people? Because I guarantee you, we've all had conversations like, "Ew, I don't want to have to like talk to someone. I hate people." Like, like all those cynical people. Right. I probably said it myself at some point. Yeah, and I've I've absolutely done that. I've absolutely been like, I don't want to talk to people. And I think it's actually kind of, I think it makes things worse it exacerbates the situation that you think people are shitty yeah but you're not allowing yourself to have fun moments with a stranger so it's like you're judging humanity based on a skewed sample right 
And well, that doesn't fucking help. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but to, to reinforce your... When I got back from Japan, mm-hmm. the trip that we went on with um, me, my sister, and um, Mike her, and Mary. her fiance, uh, Mike and Mary. Yeah. My aunt asked me, she was, she first, she asked me two questions I'd like to see. I was like, oh, wow, that's a great question. Say that again. You cut off at the very, this, after my aunt. What's the uh, cool thing you really wanted to see or that you found was really cool? Mm-hmm. Like a place or food or whatever. Yeah. And then what That's was... That's a great question. Right. But she had an, she she went a level deeper and she asked me, she's like, but what like the great moment, like a good moment? And then she did something else that I thought was really smart and insightful, which was that she said it did not the thing that you should think is cool, mm-hmm. but like that moment of traveling went, wow, and it just hit you. Which was awesome because it gave me permission <laughs> to reckon. It was like I didn't, in some sense, before that, I had thought that you go to places, you see cool parts of the culture, and that's supposed to be the, that is supposed to be the thing that catches your eye, that yeah. really hits you. But by noting that there's two separate categories there, it was like she was granting me permission to, to acknowledge the small, in almost, it felt almost stupidly insignificant thing, and how much of a huge impact <laughs> yeah. that insignificant thing had. Right. And what my answer to that question was was that when we were in Tokyo and just kind of wandering around, we'd gone to one of the big shrines there, that really beautiful place. There's like a forest practically in the middle of Tokyo, mm-hmm. and you can go through there. And there's a big shrine; it was gorgeous. And when we were coming out of there, we go through like a nice little shop compact and we get to a place that just on a whim we go into um a store it's all stickers like a graphic design store it's like a bunch of like thousands of stickers <laughs> and like tote bags and all kinds of like cool yeah. stuff little art like little art trinkets and when we're there the girls that work there are all surprised to see a bunch of fucking people <laughs> <laughs> they're like, they're like, what the fuck are you? Yeah, what right. Are these dudes doing here, you know? So they're curious and they immediately engage us in conversation and recognize that one gen speaks a little Japanese and then they're extra interested. And then they take oh. the time, their time to start teaching me and Mike and all of us as much Japanese as they can. Like, they're super thrilled. That's so cool. <laughs> so welcoming. They were so welcoming and patient with us for just butchering what little <laughs> knew of their language. God bless them. <laughs> oh, my God. That's so cool. And for also taking the time to really try to get the culture and, like, hand it to us. It's yeah. Like, Look at what we have. We want you to be engaged in this. And that this spur of the moment let's go into the shop and look at some stickers turn into genuinely one of the most meaningful experiences of my entire trip there. And That's a huge so cool. lesson for me at the time when I was especially cynical about engagement with other people and found that with a stranger whom I'll never see again in a foreign nation that's full of culture 
but in the simple place, I can have an experience as a result and with another human being that is so profound that it will change the way I look at things. Yeah, right. Like, by what right do I get to say, oh, people suck, I don't want to talk to them, when that potential exists? Yeah, I think that's where the cynicism of our generation is a, is a double-edged sword. It's unbelievable. I'm like, why Why are we, we are shooting ourselves in the foot? Why, yeah. why would you, when that's the possibility, mm-hmm. when you could have those moments time and time and time again, why would you not? Why would you cut yourself off from that? Yeah. Like it was, it was I, when you're like immediately talking about those questions, I like immediately thought about what my travel experiences have been like and, and not like, granted there's not many, but like I immediately thought of one that had the same, not really the same like interaction culturally speaking, but like just being right. able like open to a meaningful moment. It was like, right. Like for me, we got to go to this place. It was like a, a zoo and a, resort kind of place where it had like the swimming with dolphins and Mexico and Cancun. Okay. And like, I didn't know we were going to do this. Like we got there and like, we made sure we brought enough money to go and explore kind of, but for the most part, we stayed on the resort area, just, you know, drink at the pool kind of thing. This was you and your ex, right? Yeah. This was like back in 2011, uh, 12, 13, something like that. I was like 19. Okay. So I okay. was one drinking in a country that, you know, you could be yeah, 18 yeah. and drink. So it was great. <laughs> <laughs> and I also looked like I was probably 16, so it was even more great. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so it was pretty fantastic. There's a separate story that our waiter one time, as we were getting drinks, he kept handing me tequila shots, and he called it sweet water. It's great. <laughs> yeah, it is, though. I know, it right? Is, it's, it's almost sweet te- water, man. Dude, tequila shirt season down. is on. Oh. It's on the rise, Joe. Dude, we are so close to. I know. Uh, Tequila season. Um, but to kind of go back before we tangent to tequila, um, we got to go to this place and we went to go like just see the zoo area of it. I didn't look really into anything to it. I was like, cool, we're going to go to this place like last day here kind of thing. And we went underwater like cave snorkeling kind of thing. Like it was like an underground river. Cool. And that was dope. Like it was so cool. Like you got a snorkel. It wasn't super deep water. And it's like amazingly clear. Like I was just, I'm assuming you've seen like sinkholes of all that stuff yeah. in South America. And while I was there though, like after you do that, you kind of can walk around and see the, all the stuff that's there. And they have like a Mayan amphitheater and all this stuff. And there's like Mayan ruins scattered around this area. And I'm like, what? I was like, what? Like it blew me away because I'm like, wait, this is here, right? Like, I'm here at a place that has Mayan runes because, like, I'm that dork who's, like, watched all that stuff on History Channel for years and years and years and just would be like... aliens. (laughs) Right? (laughs) But, like, I've just watched that stuff and saw it and I'm just like, I've never gotten to see an ancient culture or, like, what's left of an ancient culture, like, pyramids, like, legitimate pyramids. Like, they're small, but, like, they were there and I got to, like, run up and down them and I was like, you know, shitting and grin, you know? And I just kind of had this moment, like, holy cow, like I'm able to experience something that I'd never expected to be able to experience in my life. <laughs> it's, it's first off, that's cool. And I fucking want to go to Mexico. So right. <laughs> <laughs> Who wouldn't? Oh, dude, I want to go anywhere South. of. I really want to hit up South America, but yeah, I would, I would for sure love to do anything like that. Like at this point, it's kind of like, 
bucket list see the seven wonders yeah <laughs> i want to hit i want to hit up every continent australia fucking antarctica if i can even australia that wants us dead australia wants us dead well, yeah. Oh, the, just all <laughs> the nature wants. Yeah, all the nature of Australia wants you dead. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Everywhere, but there's kind of this. I see this strange cynicism mm-hmm. in our generation. This withdrawal from. It's it's actually there's a term. I don't know if I should quite use it here. Um, but there's a term that I coined in a paper that I wrote. I can't remember if I put it on feeding curiosity or not. Um, called somatic primacy. Ooh. And soma is the body. Yeah. And what I'm saying by somatic primacy is that what's prime is the body that we use the body as a reference for the rest of the world. And you can't escape it, right? Right. Because your first point of reference, and one you'll never escape, is your own sensory experience, informed by your physical structure, your body. Yeah. And there's sort of this... I think that that's a beautiful and interesting thing, but there's this sort of withdrawal from somatic experience in our generation that I don't think is healthy or good. And what it looks like to me is that there's this disillusion with sincerity that anything that is sincere is sort of, Ooh, I rolled at. Yeah. I can bring a pop culture reference. Scoffed. Right. That just yeah. happened. Um, the Star Wars thing with the mm-hmm. trailer reactions. So that guy posted his reaction of the seeing the Star Wars episode nine trailer. And then someone on Twitter, a female was like, you know, this, I think she called it like a, this phenomenon of Star Wars and Marvel movies or superhero movies is, has revealed an entire generation of undateable men. <sighs> and I posted it on my uh, Instagram, I, like giving my two cents on it. And I'm just like, regardless of the subject matter, like I love all things, star Wars and Marvel and superheroes. Like that's fine, but it's not about that specifically. It's about the fact that because this guy is sincere and like showing raw authenticity, you know, he's like getting emotional in the video. Like he's crying and he's like really in it. Yeah. That makes him because he's willing to show some sort of vulnerability because he just loves star Wars for whatever it is. You know, mm-hmm. whatever reason that could be, like it could be one of a thousand things. You can't connect to him on on a level like what I put in my post is it said you can under like even if you don't like that thing as much as he does, you can still understand that hey, you like something just as much as that guy, and you can take you know whatever he's getting from that and channel into yourself and just love what you love just as much or more because of it because it's like when I hear about other people enjoying the things that they do. Like that just makes me fired up and want me to try harder and like doing everything else I do, you know? <laughs> mm-hmm. And it's just like having, it just seems so crazy that the lack of empathy and this scoff at like the rawness of something, right? Like in this world where we don't get to see the, the authenticity that's always manufactured, you know, like Photoshop can change things or whatever. 
So for me, it's, it, it, it's scary. Yeah, right. Like, because you can see where this goes the bat like wrong way. And it's, I think you're nailing the point on the head with that. And now there's in in that in that you can be genuinely excited. Mm-hmm. You can be thrilled that there's these moments of emotion, that there's this underlying element of physical experience mm-hmm. that not has nothing to do with the mind. Yeah. Right? The thinking things through these, oh, this detached from it all. Right. Holier-than-thou attitude that I think really is a just so disappointingly the hyper-analytic in our in our current culture that mm-hmm. in, with our generation and the and the younger one and it's this real um, it's almost a disgust with any serious it's so it's a bizarre dichot it, it, it looks like it's at odds because in some sense it's like a rejection of any sincerity in the realm of the good. Right. Excitement, moral, it's like, I don't even know how to say this. It's like any genuine part of humanity is looked down upon. Yeah. Well, at the same time, the emotions are, uh, are only... It's, uh, God, this is right out. <laughs> like I can feel you like working through it. There's the knot. <laughs> it's so strange. It's strange because there's a certain ideological stance that really takes things to a seriously emotional level. Like no facts matter. Yeah. The nature of reality doesn't matter. That biology's lie. That that the objective truth. I think that's maybe where this comes in. That. The idea of, of objective truth is an impossibility because your number of interpretations. Yeah. And that it's something like, oh, well, because I've come to that conclusion, I'm above it all. Yeah. That I understand my superior intellect, the nature of reality, mm-hmm. and that your meager sincerity, meager, meager, genuine, sincere, yeah, interpretations of things, even in their emotive state, are beneath me. Yeah, and like the and other at thing. At the that's... same time, at the same time, these same fucking people will emote <laughs> to insane degrees. Yeah, and once they've decided that there are infinite number of interpretations, that their interpretation is as equally valid as anyone else's, mm-hmm. and so that they'll be super emotive, and they'll say that that's totally justified. But then they'll still look down at people who feel just as strongly about something that they're passionate about, and they will peer down their noses at their passion. Right. Exactly. It's insane cynicism. It's, it's, it's like it's crazy. God. And I and I see this in our generation. Not one. I'm disgusted by it. It's it's unfucking believable. People would do that, and they'd be so judgmental. Mm-hmm. But then it's also it's also shocking because they're. In their cynicism, they rob themselves of the opportunity to have that genuine, lush, full, somatic experiences that we've been talking about. That yeah. those me- they, they don't believe in meaning. 
so they don't experience any. So that when I have that moment at the shop and I have this genuinely meaningful moment of serious connection with another individual, despite the huge differences in culture, and it's just a genuine connection. It, it's not, it, it, it's, it's, it's two people in an experience, in a moment together, just there for yeah. the experience and enjoying it and learning. And that you can go to another country and then you can learn the, the, these things that you've been connected to at a distance for so long ago and how that can play out meaningfully for you. Yeah. But they, there are, it's like an entire generation of people have ruled out the possibility of any meaning and have robbed themselves. They have cut away. They have divorced themselves from even the chance to have that meaningful experience. Yeah. I mean, for, so if you want to get poetic, it's like cold heart, basically. Like you, rem like you remove any sort of fire within yourself. To, to, to even be able to express like what the feeling has been. And honestly, I, I got to say like being able to connect to podcasts for me has been part of like that type of deep connection. Like there's probably a dozen podcasts where I've legitimately cried from the stories that were told, like legitimately cried, like bawling my eyes out because the emotions mm -hmm. shared even through audio or like, like even not just crying, like even just like feeling like the energy that this person is like in which they talk about whatever their subject matter is or whatever they're talking about, you can feel it and it's there and you know, it's authentic. Like, you know, they're not putting on a persona. Like they're not just yeah. being like, you know, giving you hash comments and like they're ready for it or whatever like that, you know? Yeah. It's yeah. In, in, a, in a world that's become so manufactured, mm -hmm. cheap, exploitative, surface level social media persona it's like the, defines, the fake like hey everybody we're gonna talk about whatever today i'm super motivated <laughs> and i couldn't be this motivated and reach the results that i had without this product <laughs> let me sh share this to all my fucking followers on instagram yeah right and i feel so blessed because all of you stare at my ass you like use my code fifteen whatever you know. Yeah, <laughs> I, it's unfucking believable. Yeah, like, it's just so devoid of any of anything worth anything substantive mm -hmm. at all. So, and that to have the opportunity to listen to a podcast or go out in the world and have a conversation or an experience that has depth. Yeah. It's so refreshing. It's what keeps me. It what keeps me excited, literally day in and day out. Like being able to think about podcasts I listen to, talk people I could talk to, or like being able to talk to you guys and just be like, "Hey, what are they learning?" Like that'd be fucking cool to talk about. Like you're just throwing in all your psychological stuff in this, like just weaving it in. It's like fucking cool as shit. Like I don't know, like how what other better way to learn than just meander through the topics. You know, here's the world, and then let's try to understand it together. Dude, <laughs> that's the point of, like, <laughs> that's, like, the point of group. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. Understand the world so that we can survive together. And, and I think that the more we draw into ourselves and into our technology, the more we undercut that. Yes, 100%.
And that's what I'm trying. And honestly, that's what I'm trying to think of. Like when I have like these really deep, meaningful conversations that we're all having here, like the last probably five, four or five episodes have been like on really hard hitting topics, you know, discrimination. And we talked about some of these before we recorded today. You know, we talked about discrimination. We've talked about anxiety, depression, addiction, all of it. And I get immense value from it. And it's like, holy shit. I get to share it with people, but at the same time, I'm just like, I want everybody to be able to hear this too. Like, and unfortunately you have to opt into it first. Like you have to know it's there and exists and yeah. then kind of find it. And it's kind of like a paradox in some ways, but it's like, you know, there's so much to be like, unfortunately there's just so much information out there. Right. So that's the other paradox here too. Like there's just insane amount of information. <laughs> and so the, it's so it's funny because I've been kind of, I'm, I'm a little jealous of position and how involved you are with the podcast <laughs> because I'm here and I'm learning. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> cool. oh man, bettering yourself and things like yeah. that. <laughs> Ugh, dumb. Well, at the same time, you get the opportunity to go and have these really cool, heartfelt conversations mm -hmm. with people from our high school era, from different corners of the world and old friends. I'm mm -hmm. like, man, that's awesome. <laughs> I want to do that. Yeah. <laughs> like, ah. I mean. So I'm, I'm, I'm genuinely jealous of your position <laughs> there. I know. And I, I bet people around here probably get annoyed at me because all I can do is talk about it and all the people. And I don't mean to sound like I'm name dropping, but it's just like I genuinely care about the stories that I hear. <laughs> like, it, I really do. Like, it's just, you know, I, I text everybody and I post this stuff on Facebook and unfortunately it's just text on screen. So the emotion really is hard to come through, but like, it all feels like powerful to me. Like it really does. Yeah. This is why I'm excited about this idea of trying to do a live one. Yeah. Because that human connection is so much of what doing podcasts. Exactly. That, that to bring, to, to expand out the borders of that domain to encompass more people yeah. and bring them into that fold and have the opportunity to sit there and talk. Mm -hmm. But when you talk in front of a crowd, it's, you're not, you're not just talking to the person you're with. You get to talk with the crowd. Yeah. There's like an actual interaction. They can see all of your facial expressions and like, yeah. sure they can get some of it in your emotion and how the voice is, but like when they get to see you and the, you know, the full range of how that person acts when they're animated about things. And I think that's why some of the people I I've talked to at school and stuff like that, they, they say to me, like they can tell when I get enthusiastic about things. And I think you could probably say the same thing. <laughs> because I can't I can't hide it like it's just something that like when it moves me it's like it's full on like there like it's I'm lit up <laughs> and that fuck that that passion is real yeah it is a force to be to be appreciated mm -hmm. and again to beat this dead horse one more time <laughs> I think where you are we are abandoning that Mm -hmm. right now and i think that what we really need is to breathe life back into our culture right and i think breathe one way meaning. we can do it is to have a live podcast is to have an opportunity to sit down with each other as friends but then yeah. have 
incorporate in a new character, and that character is the audience. Yes. Is is the people in that room who they're not a passive no. When they're there, they're not a passive role. They're nothing to whom we're talking mm-hmm. and whose reactions matter. Are yeah, they matter. They're a they're a it's like they're communicating. Yeah. Like the the thing they're that part of the I dialogue. Th- I think is cool too for me is like, you know, when I try to articulate these things to people, like, you know, what is your podcast about? And I'm like, it's about conversations. And it's like, okay, you know, everyone kind of thinks they know what a conversation is. But it's like, we go deeper than just, you know, asking someone how, like, you know, how do I get to somewhere? You know, how do I get to point A, point B? Like, it's it's way deeper than that. And when me and Nick, we were working on like a little poster today, trying to be more, even more organic as we, or this week rather, and try to be more organic and things. And you saw it. And there's a new tagline mm-hmm. on there and it's called the, it's a podcast that explores the precarity of human experience. And I, and I completely love that, you know, and I, I think it really captures part of the essence, like the other half of the essence of the podcast, like the, the other tagline is think, question, synthesize for the Mm. idea spectrum. But then it's also this precarity notion of experience, right? So it's precarious is one of the words or the root word, or it's the root word of precarity or yeah, I'm getting it confused. Yeah. Yeah, But so precarity is basically just the unexpected nature of human like life. And we're just trying to all, like, I actually heard it on a podcast today that I was listening to with Amanda Palmer on the Tim Ferriss show. And she said, or Tim was like, hey, you know, this podcast is actually turning into this kind of thing where it's, you know, people dealing with the problems that they didn't give themselves. You know, it's the things that they just have because of life, you know, the mental problems, yeah. the, the the social problems, you know, things that you just have to figure out because congratulations, you're alive. (laughs) And I I think that's super powerful because in this world where everything's becoming more automated and more and more, you know, less human in some ways, the only thing that's going to matter is what makes us all human. And it's those things that how you as a human being deal with the things that come your way that are curveballs, you know, and that's how you're going to generate a passion and a meaning for whatever you decide to do in your life. And I think a lot of that comes down to is how you tell the stories of your life. I think you nailed that one on the head. <laughs> yeah. I, That's, it's a very real thing that I, human I'm like element sweating. I think is really important. I'm sweating right now because of the emotional rawness of this. <laughs> <laughs> well, Jesus, dude. I, I, wasn't, I, was ex- I wasn't expecting to go deep today. <laughs> Neither was I, but it's working out right. I, I'm digging it, man. And it's already, holy fuck. It's already 55 minutes, dude. <laughs> well, I'm not done yet if you're not no, done No, I'm yet. not done yet. <laughs> All right, cool. <laughs> I'm just, I just looked at the time. Didn't even realize it. <laughs> oh, man. It's just, I don't know, man. It, 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 I'm thrilled. I'm especially interested in doing a live version. Mm-hmm. I think I feel like I've articulated it better to you now that I got to talk to you about it because I think via yeah. text there's so much more nuance than I can probably convey concisely. Yeah, you know that's the problem with writing. Right, exactly. And I'm like, and I get hyped up about it. I'm just like, I try to like, you know, keep my imagination from overflowing. <laughs> You're definitely an enthusiastic individual. <laughs> yeah, 
I, I hope that comes through even marginally for all those. I don't those think listening. you could help it. I don't think you could have, stop that. <laughs> you don't need to worry about it happening. <laughs> <laughs> I can't help it, man. It's so. I don't know. I just feel like there's part of this is just like I've never felt like I've had a calling in my life until I started going down this path. And like, it's even crazier to me to like think about the trajectory of who I, who I, how I viewed myself and being very deliberate on how I say this because of what I've been reading lately. Um, attaching the I, so to speak. Um, mm-hmm. Because like, as you know, we've been friends for so long. The The type of person I am is not this hyper outgoing stage presency, you know, let's give on a performance kind of thing. Like I've never been yeah. that person. Um, and I've been thinking about it a lot. And like, the fact that I'm just like, yeah, I think I need to take this live and I need to, you know, be enthusiastic in front of a crowd. is like, hold, what the hell? Because I'm not that kind of person, but I just think that it's like the, <laughs> like if, if I really care about it, it's like, this is what I need to do in some ways. Yeah. It's funny because, one, I, I, I think you could, especially being a person that doesn't naturally feed off the crowd, put yourself in that situation, that you could benefit from it quite a bit. Oh, that's part of why I want to do it. Because I know that if, because I'm kind of scared of it and that I don't think I could do it, means there's room for growth. But another... Another thought popped into my mind when you mentioned memory, and I think it offers a kind of nice little goal forward or incentive for why to do something like this. And I was invited to talk to the Emerging Adulthood course here at the University of Michigan and relay my experiences about becoming an adult in the military and what that's like. And it was supposed to go for my talk. It went for the entire hour and a half. (laughs) Wow. And basically I talked their fucking ear off. Yeah. I hope that's fine with them. (laughs) And I loved, loved every second of it. I I was shocked. I thought that I was going to sit down And I was going to hit the main points. And when she told me, too, that it was going to be 45 minutes, I was like... That's long. I was like, I'm the only only dude talking for 45 minutes? (laughs) What the fuck am I going to talk about? Right. I was like, we're going to have a long... Um, But we didn't. I I spoke for... Once I got rolling... And this keeps happening every time I, I talk in public. I'm, I'm nervous for the first two minutes, mm-hmm. tops. And then I go, oh, oh, I'm having, I, I can do this. I can talk. Yeah. yeah. I got this. <laughs> <laughs> and then I don't shut up. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm just in, the, I, I, I seriously found it incredibly worthwhile yeah. to do and to talk about my experiences honestly so and the response was really great and there's a, a part of the reason it went so long is because there was a solid amount of questions afterward uh, yeah questions yeah. afterward about people who are curious about just my experience 
and also open about it. I think that that helps it pretty thought through on the issue yeah. or on my, my issues, I suppose. <laughs> and what it was like going through the military while trying to become a man, trying to grow up. Right. I mean, I think it's super powerful stuff. And I talk about this a lot with like Dante and yourself and, it's, yeah, it's like it was, one of the last vestiges of a crucible, at least in modern society, if you opt into it. If you're in the Marine Corps, it's literally called a That's my point. <laughs> and I think it, it's, it, it's a rite of passage mm-hmm. that I think the culture at large lacks, but yes. and could benefit from. Um, but the point was that the point was that that kind of opportunity, that mm-hmm. kind of enjoyment, I think also exists in potential for you in mm-hmm. having a public sp- speaking engagement. Yeah. That if we do this live, that I see as an opportunity, the chance to have another moment yeah. where you get to talk, that there is a response, and that people are engaged. And that then you're not just engaging with the two people or whatever, or one yeah. person across the table from yourself or across, you know, Discord from mm-hmm. you. Right, exactly. <laughs> you know, 400 miles <laughs> away from me to, right now. Yeah, that's right. One in Ann Arbor, <laughs> one back in Roselle. Yeah. And that you get to expand that out and have that experience with 20 people. Yeah, like I... Like I I keep thinking to myself, it's like, instead of just doing even like a conversation like we're having right now live, like that could be one of them, you know, we can get a guest or something and we just have a conversation around a topic. But the other part of it is like you said, do a talk and we say we do, you know, two to three people and you get like a 10, 15 minute spot. Like you say, I'm going to tell a story about X, you know, and here's what I, here's what I learned. Right. Like, so for your example, like if you could distill your story down to the most emotional or impactful, or even chop it up into multiple stories, you know, and how do you distill that to an audience and say, here's something I learned, you know, this is what I went through and you can make it as impactful as you want. Like, like that there's met, like you said, there's more than enough in there once you got going. Right. So if you can package that in a way and you connect to the audience and say, you know, this is how we look at the world and this is how I've worked through whatever I've been through. And I, I've actually started doing this process because I'm like, okay, if I'm going to pitch this idea to people, I got to nut up or shut up, basically. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and so I'm trying, I'm already bounced. I have like two or three ideas of stories in my own head. And I'm like, okay, how do I package this story? Um, and actually you guys can look at a story. I actually told one kind of ad lib for the one year anniversary of the podcast. Um, of, of like why I read books basically and how I became a reader, you know, and I'm not going to tell it here because you should go listen to it. There is like my first foray into this audio storytelling foray kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, it's kind of funny looking back in retrospect, like, Oh wow. I'm already like was going down this path even in February. Um, so yeah, it's, it's like really, I, I, I don't know. I just think it's really powerful too, because like, I think part of this stuff, for people too, is like, if you're looking outside, looking in, it may look like, Oh, you're just that kind of person. Who's like always been in the books or like likes reading and writing. And it's really not the case. If you look back far enough, 
And I want to like, you know, I don't want to, I want to pull back the curtain, so to speak and say, Hey, I wasn't special in some ways. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's really fascinating to talk about this story thing. Um, in part because I see some parallel thinking between me and I've really <laughs> had a strong, when we started, we talked about a little bit about doing maybe a live thing in Pollyanna. Mm-hmm. Or whatever, what you can figure out, right? Yeah. I mean, for the listeners, that's probably not going to happen any soon. No, like... If at all, but whatever. We were spitballing, we were talking about that. And I started to find myself in the fantasies, which I think is the right way to think about it. You don't have... You don't daydream, really. Instead, there are potential daydreams that... Yeah draw you in to be had their potential realities basically they catch your attention Mm -hmm. because you could daydream about literally anything an infinite number of things Mm -hmm. so the things you do dream about the fantasy indicates something but what i kept thinking about dreaming about was the idea of the idea of just telling my life story in front of people. Yeah. Because I've done a lot and I've had some weird, <laughs> I've had some really weird, and some painful ones. Yeah. And some fascinating, beautiful moments in my life. And mm-hmm. they're not written down, but they're in your head. Right. Yeah. And I was like, I don't, I, when I, I don't know if these things are worth anything to other people, but I would sure love to tell them. Yeah. And the fantasy was of breaking it up and telling my life story to strangers at Pollyanna. Mm-hmm. I was like, I maybe I should try that. Maybe I should just try sitting down and winging it and just being like, listen. <laughs> I'm just going to try to walk you through my life and you tell me what you think. Yeah. I mean, that's, or just tell me, or just pay attention. Yeah. Or don't. And hopefully I can tell it in a way that's worth paying attention to. Mm-hmm. And I don't know that, that struck me. Yeah. I, I think like, yeah, I, I just agree a hundred percent. Like, like, I don't know if I, I don't know if I would say it's like impactful, but it's just more of like, from my on my side of the spectrum, it's more of just kind of like, hey, here's just things I've dealt with, and here's how I've dealt with it, or just, um, for lack of a better term, just like inflection points in my life that I think are trajectory changing, you know, stuff like that. Yeah, and just kind of saying, hey, here's these things, mm-hmm. you know, and these are these matter to me, and you know, maybe, and it's like maybe if it doesn't even resonate right away, I think if you just says like, hey, here's what I've experienced, and then it just gets people thinking about their own inflection points. And, you know, they be just become aware of it because I don't think a lot of people are naturally just going to be like, sit back and be like, hmm, I wonder, like, you know, when did that happen? Like, how did I become who I am today? Or when did, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's just not a natural thought space unless you're like really honestly on a path of deep work and trying to figure out grounding in some ways, you know? And like I said, I've done the personal mindset coaching and, and one of those things I did is it's similar to uh, maps of meaning or the Jordan Peterson course. 
I forget. Oh, the authoring. Self-authoring. Yeah. And it's similar to that, but more actionable on like just core characteristics. But one of them is your personal philosophy. And I sent that to you and, you know, we worked it through and stuff like that. And I mean, we've basically talked about many, like everything we talked about is I say it constantly, just not in the concise language that I use for it. You know, it's be present, be curious and be authentic. Like it's as simple as that. (laughs) And it's, Mm -hmm. you know, and I feel every single one of those words and it's not in sure. Maybe some people think it's woo or it's whatever. And, but it's more of just kind of like, what do I stand for on a day-to-day basis? And if I can hit, you know, one of those categories in a day, then it's a good day, you know? And if I hit more than one of those categories, fuck, I'm on fire, (laughs) you know? And it's, it doesn't sound like it's much, but I think that's, going to be what gives you a fire to go with each day and be able to operate you know and each one each each person has their own version of this thing whatever this thing is for them you know yeah yeah (laughs) (laughs) i'm gonna roll it it's it's, um it's interesting because i i would also think i would really like to not only speak and have the opportunity to tell my life story, but also sit back and hear other people just tell their life story. Yes. on Yes. Just awesome. 100%. Like, it's even crazier, too, for me with all this stuff, like with you guys. And like, sure, even though I've known you guys for so long, it, but being able to hear you guys talk in a different way. And like kind of be like here's the, like everything you know or here here lay out the picture you know like here's my roadmap of you know who i am or how i became me in my current state it's it's special you know because it's not conversations you have with people every day and even people you you know you're close to and to kind of have this thing that's unfolding together and it's it's new territory in some ways because everybody's different. Yeah. yeah, it's. I don't know. It, it'd be so fascinating. <laughs> Feels surreal. Insightful. Genuine. I think that if you can be vulnerable and honest. Yes. And that's, while telling that story, that it would mean quite a bit. Yes. And that's. I think another part of why. I'm, I'm interested is how how often you hear someone just talk about their life. Not much. You know what I mean? Like, I can think of podcasts where people tell stories that happened during their life. Yes. But like snippets. Right. It's the 10 minute YouTube clip. Mm -hmm. Not the eight series saga. (laughs) Yeah. Siri. Which? <laughs> Sorry. No, series. Oh. Not, <laughs> my oh. phone apparently didn't fucking. Oh. <laughs> fucking phones. <laughs> Where were we? Stories. Talking about people's individual stories and how much. Gen- How genuine that would be. The genuine nature of them. Uh, 
Doesn't that sound cool to you? It sounds fucking amazing to me. Like I'm, so, <laughs> I'm so excited. Like I'm really like having trouble not to tell people and hype it up and be like, yeah, we're this. I want to do this like thing. It sounds insane. Like wh who's gonna let me set this thing up? I'm not an event planner and what. <laughs> I was, dude. But, I was thinking, like if we can set it up, what I would legitimately do is I would love to have an audience of friends. Yeah. Whomever. Or strangers. I don't care. I'll tell it to anyone. I'm almost excited to kind of invite my parents and say, hey, mom and dad, this is like what I've been doing for the last year and a half. Like, somehow, <laughs> somehow, some way, I figured out a way to do this. <laughs> to get this fucker to do what it's doing. Yeah, like, I don't, it just seems so crazy to me that, you know, like, I just keep thinking, like, one of the key things is, like, I'm a kid in the suburbs, and I've just been doing this thing that is literally, legitimately can be listened to all over the world. Yeah. The fuck. <laughs> but, which is awesome. <laughs> which is awesome in its own right. But then it's like also at the same time, it's like I want to, like I talk to, like I have work, you know, people I work with or people I go to school with. And, you know, it's like I kind of live this like double life in some ways. <laughs> yeah. Where I do this thing on the side and it's people like, oh yeah, you do a podcast, but they don't really know what that means. And I'm just kind of like, hey, just come and just sit here. And let me, you know, pour my heart out at you and be like, this is what I do on every show. Let me show you what I do. Yes. Legitimately show. <laughs> like, it would mean it's, it would mean, I think, a lot to me to have the opportunity to sit these people down. Mm -hmm. and just talk about what I've gone through and what life has been like. And, and not even like in a glorified or romantic way. I don't think you're coming off in that way anyways. Like, I don't think it's egotistical in any way. It just, I just want to talk about it. It's so strange to me because I had a thought the other day, right? So I, I keep a journal. Mm -hmm. I keep a, a, a nice little leather-bound journal that I've had since... I was in the Marine Corps, actually, since I was in the Marine Corps. I can remember, I can remember late nights with a bottle of whiskey sitting up and writing. <laughs> Damn. Ooh. Sounds very Thoreau of you. Very Hemingway, probably. Yeah, there you go. That's the, how that's much the, I was drinking. That's the correct one. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I was like, man, I'm writing a lot about simple things, right? A page or two at mm -hmm. one session. I sit down and I say... This major event happened. Yeah. Here's what it was. Here's what I feel about it. And then I was like, oh, hold on. <laughs> I didn't write about the time I almost caused an international incident. <laughs> I didn't talk about the time where I almost shot. I didn't talk about the time. I'm going to leave these. I'm not going to tell you to expand on these stories yet because I want these to stay in the dark so people can be intrigued. And so maybe, do I. Maybe, maybe we'll... I didn't talk about how they were... <laughs> how for... Because of a giant inflatable cat, we almost had a sexual harassment case against us. <laughs> like, none of these stories are in this journal. And when one day... I die and some great great grandchild finds this thing in an attic somewhere, they're gonna miss out on all the good shit. <laughs> oh my god, that's such a good way of putting it. 
And it's like, oh. and when I was thinking about that, I was like, all the fun stuff is going to be. Like, yeah. These experiences are going to be lost. You know what it, you know it what reminds me too of the end of um, the first, the original Blade Runner. Mm. That one of the characters, when he's dying, has a little speech and he talks about his memories. That he's like, I've seen things you couldn't believe. Right. I've seen things you couldn't believe. I mean, just think about like, say you say this happens, right? And you and you say it in front of a crowd and and people, other people hear it. You know, people close to you that are like, wow, I never thought you'd tell a story like that, right? But then that immediately, like psychologically speaking, that would give permission to so many people around you to say, this here's here's what I've experienced. You know, yeah. the broader reaching impact of the conversations that could be happened afterwards that don't have to be recorded or put live or anywhere. Almost to me, in its own way, would pay pay dividends for anything mm-hmm. that would be publicly known. <sighs> yeah, it's, it's shocking because <laughs> it's so strange because it's like these moments in my life or anyone else's life for that matter – that define them, that have made them as a person. Mm-hmm. They influence who you are. And yes. who you are influences those. And who those around you are influences those. Yes. Et cetera, et cetera. In some sense, I want to share with other people why it is that they are insofar as I am the way that I am. Yeah. And I... I, I it's almost like a full disclosure. You <laughs> yeah, know, that right. Could be the title of this. <laughs> full, disclosure. full disclosure. Yeah. <laughs> like, uh, I, I, it's so crazy. Like, yeah, when I think about it myself, it's kind of like I can almost pinpoint, you know, to the year, to the day where I, like, the seeds were planted for this pathway, you know? And then I can pinpoint to the year. At which, in like the, you know, the the podcast at which I, I listened to that planted the seed, you know, looking back on it, kind of like how I got here, right? And then I can look, yeah. and now I can look back for, like now I can look back closer to home, like closer to now, like presently, and look at all the different people that, you know, I call them mentors, even though I've never met them, but they're all in podcasts and they're all these people that share like-minded, you know, characteristics and traits and how they operate and view the world and I, and I listen to them, you know, and, and even though I don't know them, any of them personally, I feel like they, I understand them and I think the same way they do to some degree. And I, and I'm borrowing from all of them and and amalgamating everything they've taught me, you know, as mentors. And, and by doing this is my way of paying forward to say, Hey, this group of people is onto something. Yeah, <laughs> and I, I, that's a great description of amalgamating other your mentors into yeah, a character in some sense. Yeah, because they don't they don't know me, but I know them, and I know what they know, and they all you know help form formulate this thing. You know, they that to me in some ways they're more important than any formalized schooling that I've taken at this point. And that's. First off, it's really important, but that's also like who, like that's what people do. Yeah. You aren't just, you aren't just you. Mm-hmm. 
you're the you're the reflection of the five closest people to you. Yeah, and those those people inform you of who you are, but also contribute to you. Mm-hmm. So that when you act a certain way, they say, "Man, you've got a good sense of humor." <laughs> they go, "Oh, that's right, I do have a good." And so you're reflected back onto yourself and and reinforced that element of who you are. But at the same time, they also act a certain way and you admire that certain way. And so you imitate that or in some sense conform to it, right? That they, that the group maybe has a sense of humor. And then when you come into that group, then you adopt a sense of humor in order to be part of that group so that, so that they then form you, they contribute to you just as much as they reflect it. Yeah. And that, we do that with our mentors too. Like, do we have mentors whom have their ideas, have their thoughts? Yeah. Write them into yourself. Yeah. But the things that you incorporate are uh, also indicate to you what you what you admire. Yes. So it's not just not just five random people (laughs) throwing their personality at you, but it's actually five people that you selected because of who you are. And then you are informed. Yeah. So you play an active role (laughs) just as much as they play an active role. Oh my God. That's like, that's so cool. It's so cool. And you know, what's funny is I'm thinking about this, Joe. It's, it's fucking fun to just think. And it's like, that's legitimately what this podcast is about. It's about highlighting the people that, are connected in my life in some way and that it's like hey we can i've i've learned something from them just listen to them and you'll learn something too if you think like if you think about it because it's like you're on this jordan's on this ben like everybody's been honest that we've all been connected and we're all like teaching each other little things here and there in our own little ways you know and then it's like the stories we choose to tell about the mentors in our lives too you know and i I, i can think of stories of teachers that i've had and you know, and that's part of the other thing that I'd like to talk about is like, here's, I'm going to tell you a story, not about me, but about how someone else impacted me. And this is what they mm-hmm. left me with. And I hope that, you know, their story can live on vicariously through me. And now it's imparted on you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's so cool. I know. I'm like, we're like geeking out so, so bad. <laughs> it's so human. <laughs> and I think that that humanity, uh, that that, Again, to call back that somatic experience. Should we call it like the campfire experience, Joe? It is the campfire. That's what I'm saying. Like, I'm trying to think of titles now of like, how do you, you know? Well, that's what, (laughs) what it looks, I mean, I think the campfire thing is sort of what it really is, right? Yeah. But even more than that is that there really is this emphasis on the body. Mm -hmm. And I don't just mean the sense. The sensational, sensual experience. It's a full, it's everything. It's everything. But, I mean, it doesn't have to but, be erotic, but yeah. I mean, it can be. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> but, <laughs> Say it slow, this, Joe. This, this <laughs> <a> sensual experience. <laughs> there's this, <laughs> that there's this there's this emphasis on the body that exists. That it, it, it really is the sensation of your experience. It's, Wow, that hit me like this. It yeah. was bright. It was loud. Yeah. It was 
it felt like this, that this element, this this reference to the self, this reference to the sensation is so prime and so primal that we one, we can't help but reference it, but one but two, that to not reference it, to forget it, seems to me to be a draining of the life of humanity. And rather, and perhaps more so, the complete disarming of humanity, that it lacks its substantive, its substance. It lacks its substance if we take away that somatic experience. I 100% agree. It's like, I'm like so blown away right now because this, this podcast is one extremely meta and at its own, in its own way, it's like, this is like a video or an audio log of, you know, what we'll be talking about probably in a couple weeks again in person. <laughs> and it's like, it's funny. I, I'm just so blown away right now by just this opportunity right now. And it feels so fitting as like, you know, my life comes to a crossroads, so to speak, like I can choose so many different paths right now, you know, and yeah. a lot of those paths right now could be, you know, pick the easy money path or pick the, you know, the path of meaning and the, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, but it's like this thing that doesn't have an easy monetary, uh, you know, whatever gain. Like I, I, that doesn't even like really equate into this equation. It's more of just kind of like, I'm just seeing this as a, as a thing of further exploring what it just means to be human at the end of the day, you know, yeah. cause like we can work and you can make a paycheck and you could do all that stuff. You know, if that's, you know, if that's what you know, moves you. Right. And that's fine. But I want to go deeper than that. Like I legitimately just want to go deeper into what it means to be me, what it means to see the world, what it means to experience other people you know, authentically them. And, uh, that's really it. <laughs> like, I, I can't say it any different <laughs> than that. I know it's, it's funny. Cause it, I just, I think my intellectual deep is physically possible mm -hmm. that I always try to hit rock bottom, take things right down to what's the ultimate Ultimate problem, ultimate. Mm. Like what's the like what's the bare bedrock here kind of thing? What's the axiom upon which everything else rests? Yeah. But when somebody says, "I don't feel good" or mm -hmm. "I'm depressed," mm -hmm. I go, "Why? Why yeah. that? Why this? Why that? All the way down to the bottom. What is it at the bottom? Yeah. The rest." Because if you're going to solve a problem, you need to go for the root. Treat you need to treat the disease, not the symptoms. Yes. If you have cancer, if you have lung cancer, you don't give someone cough drops. Mm -hmm. You, you, you <laughs> yeah, right. The like, fucking cancer. I mean, that's. I mean, you're you're touching on an analogy that's like the problem of our entire society right now. You know. Like we're so used to treating symptom rather than the actual root cause of this. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, this is, this is all the Huxley's brain, 
right? Mm-hmm. That there's um, a whole society that in which the slaves of that society, the people that are are happily subjugated, that they go about their lives and they have sex with as many people as they want. When they feel down, they have a pill, <laughs> a pill called Soma, by the way. Hey, Funny wow, little, that's fitting. Someone did their research. Little Someone did research. Parallel. Yeah. Someone smart that's did a that. Synchronicity. Synchronicity, I think you called it. Anyway, um, a pill called Soma. And whatever their problem was, oh man, I feel anxious. Oh, I feel depressed because that person that I was sleeping with is now sleeping with someone else. Right. Or maybe I feel jealous. They just say, I'll just take this pill and solve that problem. Yep. And that we, as we, as a society, move closer to a world where we understand brain chemistry enough that we can manipulate ourselves into feeling however we may. Right. I see that all just as I think Huxley may have as a treating of the symptoms. Yes. As a robbing ourselves of genuine reaction and action in the world. Yes. That we have emotion, that we have this experience and it, it exists and it's real and that to just use chemicals to cover it all <laughs> up isn't yeah it's not a solution to the problem so all that it does is is it wipes the slate clean oh my and god pretends that things are beautiful i love this right now because it's like what you're what you're getting at is kind of like what my exploration into understanding myself has been like probably the last eight months or so mm-hmm. what way He's like in the inner journey, you know, trying yeah. to explore, basically forcing myself to, to really take on mindfulness is basically broadly what I would say. And mindfulness is yeah. interchangeable, interchangeable with meditation, but I'm really specific on language here because mindfulness is a skill that can be trained. Whereas meditation is the inner further deep work. So think of it as layers on an onion. It, it is really how I would describe it. I mean, I'm trying to rearticulate this because I've been talking about it a lot. And as a person who has a knee-jerk reaction against meditation due to its PR problem, I really want to... I'm trying to package this in a way to make it broadly more acceptable. Um, PR problem? Or do you mean... Because... because woo-woo? Yes, because meditation is broadly considered religious slash spiritual, so people... Yeah. It's, it, and it, not it, even it, good spiritual. It's kind of... They're like hippie. Yeah, Exactly. Yeah. And, and it's, and I don't think there's so much science now, like I'm literally reading a book. So I'm reading a book currently called Alter States, which is basically a survey of all the science, um, into meditation and proving that it has benefit scientifically now, which is right. really new. And, um, in, in our, in the podcast with Nicole Davis, we really go into this too. Um, so that'll be Nicole out Davis, the two time Olympian. So, oh, uh, yeah, right. Sorry. So, yeah. <laughs> it's not out yet. I wanted to listen to that one, too. It'll be out soon. I mean, I could send you an advanced copy if you really want to listen to it. Um, Nicole Davis. Yes. But in any case, I, I've read a book recently called uh, Awareness by uh, Tony Diamello, and he is a Jesuit priest uh, from India. And he actually is, he's passed away already, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. But his book called awareness and he's a couple other books, but he is one of these, these speakers and you know, it's, 
if if I had to give it a, like a, a a description, it was recommended by Tim Ferriss as he was reading it, and what he called his experience after reading the book. It's quite short. It's like only a couple hundred, like a hundred and fifty pages or something like that. Um, he called it an afterglow effect after reading it, where it kind of like centers you and gives you some sort of like, you know, grounding. And and the way I would describe it for myself was, it was like certain these ideas, you know, broadly speaking, it's just gaining awareness about how the human brain answers questions for itself basically or like puts things in perspective so that it just operates in the world was like pouring a cold glass of water over my brain <laughs> and mm. it, it was moving to the core in, in for many of them and all of them were written like short talks like he would give on stage um like he was talking at you as a friend and just saying mm -hmm. hey here are these things um about how the, the human the human animal operates in the world and it was extremely eye-opening. And if I had read it any sooner, I don't think it would have broken through as it did. And it was moving in many ways, you know, and there's like some chapters on like childlike joy, you know, finding that child in you again, even as an adult, to be able to look at everything and be like, wow, that's exciting, you know, back to, you know, breaking through the cynicism of the world or you know, understanding what it means to love and to understand that you don't need mm -hmm. to have another, like attach yourself to a person to feel love, things like that. Um, mm -hmm. Attach your identity to another thing to feel like you're worthy, stuff like that. Um, mm -hmm. and, and I know I don't expect everybody to get as much value as this, but I think it's honestly one of the more impactful books that I've ever read, especially even this year, which is a lot because I've read a lot of really impactful books this year so far. Um, <laughs> So it's what, what was the name of it again? It's called Awareness by Tony Diamello. I mean, I could buy you a copy because I'm just like, there, no, Jesus, dude. There, uh, there's so many my, books. There's so many books. I now. will never get. It. Yeah, it's true. I mean, but you're almost done with school, so you'll have time, right? <laughs> yeah, um, that I mean, that kind of fits up my alley actually, for the for the summer. So last summer, I picked a. Well, let me address what you said. Yeah. First, before I get ahead of myself. <laughs> That sounds fascinating. <laughs> and, and it sounds like a emphasis. book you might get really a lot of value yeah. from right now. I mean, it sounds like a kind of spiritual um, exploration mm -hmm. that is really drawing my attention. But which leads me now into the topic that I was going to address before, which is that last summer, I picked a I picked a theme for mm -hmm. the books I would read, and it was meaning. Meaning was so I read. Oh yeah, um, like you're reading maps of meaning and stuff like that, right? Yeah, and and birth and death of meaning by Ernest yeah. Becker. I think Victor Frankel, um, Man's Search for Meaning, and um, I found a lot of. It was really to take three months and. Um, really focus in on a singular yeah. concept and really go, I mean, not just switch from one concept to the next and hit surface level the whole time, but try to go as deep as I possibly could right. and really take a good extended amount of time and focus in on that singular topic and dig deep on it. Yeah. And I'm going to do that again this summer. This summer, I'm going to go with, Philosophy with a small a small p, 
Oh, dude, that that fits right into that theme because it's right. broadly spiritual, non-denominational. Even though he's Jesuit, I just use that as a characterization just to kind of give you a yeah. better framework. But because I didn't know anything about him, I just bought the book because when someone says it left me with an afterglow, I was like, okay, that's a book that's worth reading. Um, yeah, because it's very specific it's, um, language. <laughs> And that's where I'm going and, and yeah. why that book brings me to this topic. Yeah. I like is that, that a lot. That small P is, I mean, it's, I, 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 I'm going to read Book of Five Rings that mm-hmm. you bought me a long time ago and I haven't. Hey, dude, the point is not to read it right away. It's to say, hey, there's a book and if you, I think you'll get value from it when you choose to read it. And hopefully that it I mean, flutters up to the. Yeah, higher conscious levels of my mind when it need, needs <laughs> to do so. I mean, there's a great quote now. from Musashi with, you know, once you know the way, once you know the way, the way can be applied broadly in all things. You mm-hmm. know, once you go deep on something, that can be applied across the board. And it's funny that you, you say that quote because the way that I'm, I think he was talking about. It's the was, martial arts. Was well, it was more than that. It was the way, yeah, it was capitalized, in, yeah. Um, Dao De Ching, yes. So, <laughs> which is the other book that I was thinking about reading. I have that Dao too. If you want to read, if we want to read that at the same time, I would love to. I've like read okay, half of it. Yeah. I want to, I mean, yeah, absolutely. So, I want to read Book of Fire and then, or maybe I should No, my heart says Book of Five Rings, do Book of Five Rings. And then, I'll have to finish the book I'm reading now, which is Victor. So I go, you know, I could do that at the same time. You know, and I won't put an emphasis on finishing that until anyway. Um, <laughs> just thinking through right now as you're talking. <laughs> yeah, because there's a part of me that I need to finish that book. And I find a lot of yeah. value out of it's called Existentialism and Psychology by Victor Rankle. Yeah, that's just like his. I find a lot right? of value out of it in part because it's sentimental, which is to say that. When my grandmother passed away. Oh, right. Yes. Last November. She had a, a ton of books. She's a great reader. And one of the books she had was this book. It was given to her while she was in the hospital and recommended for her to read. And it's a book that really goes over Victor Frankel's thoughts on meaning. And Victor Frankel was definitely a strong voice on the subject. <laughs> he was... He, he was a Jewish prisoner of Auschwitz for a time mm-hmm. and a psychotherapist, and he collected his thoughts during his time in the concentration camp and wrote man's search for meaning. Yes. And this is his thoughts on logos, logotherapy, which was... Therapy by finding a meaning. And I think it was handed to her by, or recommended to her by her doctor for the sake of understanding meaning in her place and all this stuff. Because if Victor Frankl can find his place of meaning himself in the conditions he was in, which were, by the way, not too dissimilar from the experiences of my grandmother, who was also in a concentration camp her time. Um, that if she could find meaning in suffering through leukemia and cancer, 
that that would be worth knowing. And when my parents went through the possessions of my grandmother, there was a couple of books that really stood out to them as being not just things that need to be passed or sold or whatever dealt away with after the passing of my grandmother, but it really seemed to have a clear place where they should go. Yeah. That this book wasn't just a book she had read, but rather a book that I needed to receive Mm -hmm. that she had herself gone through. That's awesome. And she highlighted and wrote little notes. (laughs) And now I have the opportunity not only read what Viktor Frankl's about that meaning, but also read what she thought he said was that's awesome and now you get like a a look into your grandmother as well as at the same time yeah (laughs) it's so great dude that's so (laughs) it's so special dude (laughs) like it's seriously she was such a good and incredible human being and like she was just so just effortlessly wise mm-hmm. and decent. Have you thought about trying just, to tell her story in any way? Because I know you, you she said, told you, her story. She told say, her you, story. you have notebooks and stuff. Yeah. she. Um, my mother helped her record and edit her life story no a while way. back. Yeah, so we have it. Dude, I haven't read it yet. Um, that's so... I know the gist. Um, she also was thoughtful enough to write little notebooks for both me and my sister throughout our lifetimes, unbeknownst to us. Wow. With little messages about these times, <laughs> thoughts about us, and whatever it was that she thought we could take with after she, her. She's ahead of her time, dude. <laughs> she was very forward-thinking. Wow. And, and I think that that is a blessing of strength. Because that's awesome, man. Because she wasn't just, she didn't shy away from the hard, the real. She, she knew she knew she was going to die mm-hmm. years ago, before the cancer, even right. Yeah, and she had the forethought to to sit down and give us something. To carry with us after she was gone, dude. That's so. And that that did that genuinely and do that is because they don't want to address the fact that there's going to be they're not. Yeah. And to sit down and really consider to consider what you want people to know dead means you have to admit that you are going to die to yourself. That's very still. And then put yourself. Then put yourself in a position where you no longer exist and then think about what's necessary once you're gone. Yeah. That takes a humility and honesty and a strength that is shockingly hard to come by. (laughs) Yes. Yes. And I am absolutely blessed to have known her and to be a beneficiary 
That's the amazing. Beneficiary of her behavior. Yeah. And, and who she was as a person. And now I have this book that has all her little messages to me that I get to read. And I haven't had the yeah. heart to read yet because every time I. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's so emotional. I do it. Absolutely, man. And like, can I, can I tell, I don't know if I've told you this before, but I told Jordan, I think, but one of the things I want to do with this podcast that may or may not ever go live, but as like a, a homage to my parents and, you know, family period, broadly speaking, family, you know, your parents, Herrera's parents, all you guys' parents. What I would love to do is be able to sit all of them down individually and be like, can you just sit here. I'm just going to record this. And I just want you to tell, tell, tell me your story. Like we've been talking about this whole time, just story. And I, I want to be able yeah. to get my mom, my dad, you know, my brother, my uncles, you know, all of our friends, parents, your parents, and just get them to just unfilter their life. And, and it's not to put it out in the world if they don't want it to or whatever, yeah. but more of just to have it as a recording for the next generation for our kids so that they can say instead of us telling the story of grandma and grandpa yeah. so that they can hear hey do you want to know who your grandma was or do you want to hear you know what your grandpa was like if they never got to meet him or even if they did got to meet him they could just still hear the unfiltered version of who they were and what they went through growing up because you know by the time our kids are old enough the world is going to be so dramatically different than it is yeah currently yeah then they'll it just won't understand it you know and if they can hear it from them from someone who doesn't know it just makes it so much more real and audio is the perfect way to capture that because it's like yeah. if you think of a photo you have the photo of mm -hmm. them but then you get to actually hear the fo the voice of that person as they say what they have to say about their life <laughs> and i'm like trying not to cry right now because it's really fucking emotional <laughs> dude it's so uh, real it's it's um it reminds me like uh, and i i mentioned this briefly in a conversation we had talking about the end of a recent relationship but yeah I'm, this has been on my mind a little bit even before then which is that i'm 26 yeah right if i want to if i want to guarantee a 50 percent decrease in likelihood of divorce. So I'm 50% more likely to not divorce that I need to spend five years together right. with the person I'm dating. That puts me at 31. Right. All right. So maybe two years after I have kids, 33. Now that's not too out of the ballpark, but my dad is 63 right now. Yeah. Seven years, 70 when I have kids. I mean, 70s that usually means that longevity starts declining in general. That, yeah, and that means that when, I mean, my grandmother was 83 mm -hmm. and I'm 26. Yeah. Okay. That's not a realistic possibility for my dad. Exactly. So the idea in some sense that if I follow the normal path and don't speed things up in terror that they won't have the opportunity to meet as an adult, then my grand, my children, his grandchildren, will never have the opportunity to be an adult around their grandfather. Yes. And gain the wisdom that can only be passed to you once you've 
grown into that age of your life mm-hmm. where they can be real with you. Right. Where you're, this is what's so beautiful about the grandparent grandchild relationship. They don't, they don't have to give a fuck about raising you. <laughs> That's your, <laughs> That's like, yeah. They, they don't, they don't have to, they can spoil you. Yeah. Or they can be, which more valuable. They can be real. Yeah. They can be real with you. So they can sit down, they can say, yeah, like I made all these really fucking dumb mistakes. Yeah. And your parents will never tell you what mistakes they made because Absolutely. they're trying to set the example <laughs> and they're trying to like, you know, encourage you to do better and they do things better. Yeah. Dumb mistakes. So you can be like, well, bitch, you fucking did this. <laughs> it's right. Like, well, now you're cutting my argument. <laughs> but but the grandparents don't have to worry about that. So they have this real opportunity to be real yeah. with their grandchildren. And it looks to me right now like I'm not going to have my grand, my children aren't going to have that opportunity. So I can put that in perspective because I don't didn't have that and still kind of don't because right. so my dad's so my dad's side of the family, his mom passed away right like a month before I was born. Um, my dad's father, my grandfather passed away before I was before I was old enough to know him. So he passed away like when I was like four or five, something like that. And then my mom's side, her dad passed away when she was 14, a sudden heart attack. And my grandmother does not speak English. She speaks very broken English. So I don't really know anything about my grandpa, my grandmother, really. I know she grew up in Poland. I know she's very Polish still, you know, kind of that kind of stuff. But there's still that um, divide from a language barrier perspective. Right. (sighs) So, so like you said, it's 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 a hard thing to have because I think one of the things growing up too is kind of like around here in the suburbs is there's people have like really close ties to grandparents and um, I don't know if it's part of the Italian area here maybe um, or just how it's structured in the suburbs in any way, but it just felt like I was missing something growing up, you know, because I didn't have that. Um. And yeah, I mean, it's a really real thing. And honestly, one of the thoughts I've had lately is kind of having, even getting my grandmother here and having like one of my uncles translate or my mother translate for my grandma to tell um, her life because she grew up in a very different world (laughs) than I'm growing up in. You know, she grew up with in Poland and saw horses and cars and planes for the first time, like stuff like, you know, things that I don't have any clue (laughs) what that even means. Right. stuff is you know it's kind of mind-blowing and like you're saying i think you know if if you know the reality of the situation is is that you know recording your parents life story and saving it for future generations might be an option at the very least to have something yeah i i I don't want to i don't i do not want to lose that yeah I don't want there to be a generation that forgets the stories firsthand right. of the World War II veteran. Yeah. I don't want there to be a world where where we forget who our grandparents were. The Cold War, the the Koreas, the Vietnams. Right. And now the global war on terror, the 9-11 children that the idea that those experiences to harken back to to Blade Runner 
for those experiences to be teardrops in the rain. Uh, yeah. To be lost in it all. That we keep, wow, are we letting that happen? <laughs> what are we doing we, that we would, there's all we would society have to do, put, all we would have to do is create an online museum. Yeah. Where, where different generations sit down and talk through their life. <laughs> And then you can go back like an archive, (laughs) like a giant archive. I'm not laughing because it's funny. I'm laughing because I'm sensing a shift here or something. I'm sensing something or another project. (laughs) It sounds exactly like a project to me. You know? We should make another fucking website of this. Are you writing this down? (laughs) I don't think I can forget it. Yeah, I know. You're probably right. We've talked too much about it. And record these experiences. The gym. have the opportunity to learn. And I think that's strikingly important. Absolutely, dude. One hundred fifty thousand percent. It's too easy to forget the horrors of the- because, right? I mean, and, and with the world, the way the world's going. It's just tar- it's just full steam forward. You know, what's next? How are we going to do, you know, solve the next problem and the next problem and the next problem, but we're not paying attention about what came before anymore. Right? Because I mean re- when you look at it, it's the it's we're not solving the problems of, you know, our parents' generation. We're solving the problems of our parent of our grandparents' generation. You know, right. this the sins of the past, so to speak, come to bite us 40 years in the future or 60 in some cases. Yeah. And if we choose to opt out of that, what's, you know, then we're doomed to fail and not to be cynical or whatever. But realistically speaking, if we don't know where we came from, then we don't know where we're headed. Yeah. <sighs> we'll just make the same fucking mistake again. Absolutely. And, and even the same mistakes aside, that, that cliche of that, Mm-hmm. almost cliche of, of that point is aside from it is that there's these beautiful incredible stories that are that are worth listening to about human experiences yeah I mean even with all the horror inter- interwoven between all of it there's still beauty that comes out of it oh yeah like, shockingly so. That right. <laughs> the, the juxtaposition it, of it, right? It's incredible what, in fact, in some sense, the horror of it makes the the small beauties all the more Absolutely. Contrasted, contrasted with the horror. Fuck. That the individual that maintains a sense of dignity, pride, and contentedness in the face of destruction and atrocity is made all the more because of its contrast to that atrocity. Yeah. It's like you can't, it's yeah. It's like you can't have good without evil because they need to exist because of polar opposites to be able to make one to have value of the other. It's, it's because if not, you, it's, everything is just leveled, then there is no higher low. 
it's um, it's even more than that in some sense. There's, it's not just some dichotomy where you need one for the other. When I when I think of war now, having been through the Marine Corps, mm-hmm. taking quite seriously the nature of dying, right? And I mean, you war, had to really ask yourself the question: Am I okay to die? Because if you went to a wartime scenario. It was a real possibility for me. It's a part of the culture, too. Absolutely. That when you train, people scream, grunts are dying in the artillery. Hmm. It's a reminder that if you don't set up your artillery fast enough... People will die. There are people who are waiting for your help, who are being exposed longer and longer and longer to enemy fire in desperate conditions. And the chances of their dying increases with every moment that you waste. Mm-hmm. And grunts are dying. That slogan is a very, it's not Dude. just the slogan. It's real. Oh my God. It's a real thing. That's and crazy. it's a constant element of that culture. And having considered it as seriously as I did, and perhaps, no. I was going to say perhaps too seriously, but I don't think so. That I don't think you ever can take it too seriously. I think I considered it seriously enough to put my mm-hmm. too seriously because to face down just how bad things can be, I think is invaluable. Yeah, but um, now when I see war movies, for example, I don't think of them the same. Doesn't surprise me. I don't, it's not, it's not some heroic effort. It's not some tragedy, exactly. Yeah. What hits me is when in spite of all the terrible things that are happening, as bad as things really do get, really, really how bad they'll get. Yeah. That there are people who have the fortitude of character to act with any increment of decency is what? It's just... Mind-blowing? It's a miracle. Yeah. It's an absolute miracle. I heard in Jocko Willing's podcast one time, and he's like, I can't watch war movies. Want to know why? Because I imagine myself being the guy that gets blown up in the first 30 seconds. Because in reality, that's 90% of the people. Yeah. You're not the that's hero. That's how I thought about it. You're not that's the what, hero. You know? Dude. <laughs> dude, that hit that thought, that same thought, so parallel. And I know what podcast you're talking about. I listen to it, too. Dude, that hit and me like a fucking moment. ton of bricks, dude. I was like, holy fuck. I'm like, this, because, is, why, this is why you are, you know, a, a fucking... Um, this is why you're the one of the best human beings on the planet. <laughs> you know? I mean, it was, a, it was the second podcast. <laughs> that particular thing about reading it as the dude that gets blown up in the first 30 seconds because I had a realization when I was in that was insanely profound for me, which was that Death, that really, death isn't 
there's never some for some people. Yeah, you don't have that moment of contemplation. No, or the you're not to sitting go there with your legs blown off in pain. This is it. Yeah, I get to let go. I get to show my character <laughs> and die with grace and dignity. Right. That what death is is that one moment you're running, and then it's black. And you don't have, it's not like playing a video. No. Where you're sitting there and then you go, wait, what the motherfucker? And then you piss <laughs> off. Like that doesn't, you don't have that opportunity. Yeah. That there is no reflection. There is no consideration. There is no, oh, I could have done. There's none of that. There's nothing. There is, there's a moment where you are alive and then there is a moment <laughs> of nothing. Yeah. There's a moment of complete it absolution, yep. absolute n- nothingness. There's no experience. It is not that you go, oh, it's dark, even. It's the lack of even darkness. Mm-hmm. There's no experience. There's nothing to be dead. And that that death, and it's, that in the face, the fact that in the face of that absolute catastrophe, people, despite its insane risk and the horrors around them, could act with so great a character is just unbelievable. <laughs> it's unfucking believable. It's crazy, right? To have someone who's got such fortitude and. Moral framework to be able to hold true and under impossible odds. Yeah. I don't think the civilian world gets it at all. No. It's hard. It's because it's a whole different under, like a whole different level. It really is. It's, I mean, it's, and I'm talking about it, you know, as an outsider too. I'm not going to say I know anything. I uh, mean, you're closer than most, but and that's fair. <laughs> I mean, I I put myself in these situations, though. I intentionally choose to listen to, you know, horrible, yeah. horrible things because I feel like I haven't. Because I think you have to. Because I haven't I you experienced. Have to listen, listen to horrible things. You know, what it's like to you know lose your limbs and then somehow find the strength to per- persevere. You know, and yeah. make and make the world a better place, even though it sucks for you. It's <sighs> shocking. The whole thing. It's <laughs> yeah. It was so strange to me to come home and after the Marine Corps, and I was at it. I was that <laughs> was not a good place. Yeah, got out. I was in a pretty dark place for a while, actually. Yeah, before and after I got out. I mean, I was probably in some form of deep, just horrific sludge of a depression for three years Damn. straight. That's a that's a very visceral description. It was literally, it was like being waist deep in sludge and trying <laughs> to walk forward in that for like three years. That's what it felt yeah. like. And to be in that position and then talk to people who had no fucking idea 
just how bad things could be. Yeah. They would be like, oh, oh, my, my boss, <laughs> my boss is so, he's so annoying, you know, he does this, like, <laughs> he's just so naggy, <laughs> or, oh, my girlfriend, just, every time I tell her that, like, <laughs> like, I want to go get some food, she can't make it, she like, <sighs> and I'm sitting there, I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm sorry. Right. Is your life at risk? Mm-hmm. Are people dying? Right. Are you going to regret the fact in the last moments while you excruciating pain, the fact you never wrote a letter to your parents telling you that you love Yeah. Oh, you're not. <sighs> oh, you're not. Okay. What do you think... What do you think <laughs> reality is? I mean, people don't do you, uh, people don't live with dire consequences anymore. No, you know, and no, I think that's we become decadent. I think that's why we're seeing this rise in mental illness. It's part of it, you know, because the, the no perspective. Yeah, it's easy to be depressed relatively, but. When everybody's life is shit, <laughs> then the conditions under which you're depressed now seem a lot more trivial. Right. And so it makes it hard to become come down to other people's level, especially when you have such an extreme culture shock. Yeah. I mean, and that's not to discredit. No, I don't think depression. we're... I don't think we are being... I don't mean to discredit depression, and I don't mean to discredit progress, right? That... Thank no. God. <laughs> no, I think a- you're just painting the picture of what it's like to come from one culture and reintegrate into a different culture with a completely different standard of living and how much pressure you live under. Because in modern society, it is so devoid of struggle and hardship and the thought yeah. that you may or may not be alive tomorrow <laughs> or at least be okay with that. Yeah. It's, it's you know, it's a mega shift. And I remember it too. I still, I, I mean, I don't remember like that specific period as specifically, but I still remember when you like first went to boot camp and how your entire persona had like a, you know, a left shift, so to speak, where you went from like completely, you know, the the only way I could describe it is like hard edged, you know, um, you know, where there's certain things where it's like, oh, there used to be soft, you know, soft corners here, but now there's not. Now there's like, you know, there's no, sh- there's, <laughs> the, the, yeah. the, the things have been squared up here, almost you know, <laughs> legit. Like I use that language specifically because you know it's like your haircut, you know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's, it's uh, this conversation is so wide ranging and it's over two hours long, Joe. <laughs> I don't care. I know you don't care, but my phone's about to die, and I really don't want to end it, but it's at fifteen percent. Okay. Well, dude, it's a brutal place to end that. Fuck. Hey, you know what? Welcome to life. <laughs> hey, <laughs> I think we we sprinkled in a lot of good in this one too. A lot of hope. This is this is fascinating. I think this is one of the deeper podcasts we've done. I think we I think we're both at a place where we needed this conversation to happen. Yeah, <laughs> you know. Yeah. It'll be good to come home in a couple weeks. Yeah, I know, dude. I'm excited to figure out 
the next stages of everything. It'll be fun. Yeah. There's a lot of them. Yeah, uh, there is. There is. And I, 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 I'll be curious to see. We didn't even get to the point of why we wanted to have this podcast. I know, right? <laughs> we just Which had too, was, too much shit to talk about. <laughs> I know. Which is fine. I, I this. This, I, this is probably just as good. Planned out. This is just as good, if not better, than what we were going to talk about anyways. Yeah, so <laughs> I'm happy we got to do this. And um, yeah. I'm curious to see what the reaction will be from the community. Me too. I hope I get, I hope, honestly, people, if you got this far, you're, I applaud the fuck out of you, <laughs> first of all. Second of all, please shoot us a message, socials, all the things, yeah. Facebook, anything. Find us. Mm-hmm. Find me. Comment on the page because it's a blog post, so you can comment there too. Do it, please. We want to know who you guys are in the world of stuff and things. Yeah, I'm super. Excuse me. <laughs> Sleepy yes, for one I'm thing. Super, yeah, that's one. <laughs> I'm super open to anyone engaging with me on social media. So if you, if you want, ask me a question or bullshit or I don't care. I'm fine with that. So reach out. I forget what all my <laughs> I can link them. Don't worry about it. Yeah, fuck it. Whatever. All right, everybody. I hope you enjoyed this conversation. There's a lot to take away and um, explore at your own free will. <laughs> hey. Boom. You just listened to an episode of Feeding Curiosity. Thank you all for listening and tuning in. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a like, subscribe, go check out the website over at feedingcuriosity.net and all the other things that we're doing there. And once again, thank you all for tuning in and we will see you in the next episode.